Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you're encouraged by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Well, we're, we're in the Gospel of Luke, and we've been in the Gospel of Luke since the beginning of, of uh, September. Loving this series, uh, we're, gonna doing, we're doing this whole series on the book of the Gospel of Luke and then going into the book of Acts. We're going to continue in the Gospel of Luke, but we're going to be pausing after today. After today, we're going to be going into our Christmas Advent series, talking about the miracles of Christmas for the next four or five weeks. And then we're going to jump back into Luke in the new year, and then we'll transition into the the book of Acts shortly thereafter. And we've been talking about the kingdom of God and the power of the presence of the kingdom of God as manifesting through the people of God, which is you and me, and the the story that God wants to lay out into this world. Today we're going to be talking about kingdom seeds kingdom seeds. We're going to look at a few parables of Jesus today. And a parable, of course, uh, in, the, in the Gospels, the first three Gospels, as a matter of fact, uh, the, there are well over 30 unique parables, and only, but only five parables are in all three of the first Gospels. Now you say, why, why is there no parables in the fourth Gospel? There actually isn't any parables in the fourth Gospel. So the first three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels, which means they're kind of the story of Christ's life. And you see many parallels between the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But the Gospel of John uh, talks about the character of Jesus. And so that's what sets it apart as different from, and unique from the first uh, three Gospels. But these parables, they're stories that Jesus tells about life in the kingdom of God, and they're kind of told in such a way. Have you ever noted, let me, let me put it this way. Have you ever noted that um, when you're trying to confront somebody or tell somebody a truth, when you come head on with that truth, they, they tend to put up a wall. Anybody ever figured that out? And they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really care about your truth. Yeah, that's stupid. That's you, you believe that. Why are you trying to tell me this? But Jesus told stories in order to go around people's defenses. <laughs> so he would tell these parables, and they go, oh, okay, I can relate to that. And without even knowing it, they've let a truth into their heart that reveals the kingdom of God to them and God's heart and intent. And so, as I said, there's 30 unique parables in these first three Gospels, but only five parables are found in all three Gospels. We'll call those the super parables. And today we're going to look at three of the super parables that God wanted so much to lay out to His people that He repeated them in all three Gospels. So these super parables, we'll say, are the parable of the sower, the parable of the light under a lamp, the parable of small beginnings or the mustard seed, and the other two, which we're not going to look at, are the parables of the, te- uh, the tenants and the vineyard and the parable of the unfruitful religion. Now, these parables, as I said, are found in the first three Gospels, and uh, we're in Luke chapter 8 as we go through the Gospel of Luke, but I decided to jump into the Gospel of Mark, and I'll tell you why I did that. 
uh, because if we were to stay in Luke, I would have to jump to a couple different scriptures in order to get these three parables. But Luke chapter 7 and Mark chapter 4 and 5 are almost identical in storyline. But in Mark, all three of these parables or these super parables we're going to look at actually occur simultaneously. So that's why we're going to jump into the gospel of Mark in order to see these three parables and what they have to say to you and to me today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 4. So Jesus is teaching and the crowds start to get so big that he gets into a boat and they push out on, uh, from away from the shoreline. And what he's doing is he's creating a natural amphitheater. Have you ever been out at the lake in the middle of the night? You can always hear the guy talking across the lake. You're like, how can I hear that guy? Because it just allows for that. So Jesus is in a boat. He's pushed off from shore and he's teaching a multitude of people. And he begins by talking about the parable of the sower. Let me read part of that story to you. It says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. While the parable goes on, Jesus actually it doesn't always do that, what we were going to see, but he actually goes on and explains what this parable means, which he often did to his disciples, because like them, we're sometimes a little bit thick of head and we can't quite understand the parable. So Jesus explains this to them, and he talks about the fact that I'm talking about uh, the seed is the word of God, and the soils that we're talking about are the hearts of men and women. And so the hearts, there's different types of heart. There's hard hardness of heart that does not allow the seed to penetrate. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're trying to share with somebody about the good news and it just seems to bounce off their heart, like they just don't get it. You're like, what is going on? And that's, that's, that's this reference to the hardness of heart. And so sometimes you have to pray for God to plow down and break that heart a little bit so that the seed can get in. Okay, just a little thought. And then uh, the second heart is this shallow heart that receives the word with joy. And maybe you've met people like this. They're so excited. They hear the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news that God wants to do life together with them. And, and they're so excited. And then, but the Bible says they quickly, that seed is, is withered away because there's no root. And when persecution or trouble or hardship comes, they quickly turn turn away. And so this is a second kind of heart that we're, we're, we're talking about, or Jesus is talking to us. The third type of heart is this thorny soil. And the thorny soil represents the heart of people that have the seed of the Word of God gets in, but it begins to be choked out. And they talk, Jesus describes it as the deceitfulness 
of riches and uh, the, the, you know, the, 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 the struggles in this world begin to choke out that, that word, that seed, and it is unfruitful. And so we see these three types of hearts. And then the fourth type of heart is the good heart, which receives the seed, it's planted, it takes root, and it grows, and it bears fruit. And all of us want to have that type of heart that begins to grow and produce the fruit of the kingdom of God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the life of God within our lives. And so this is how Jesus starts the stories. Then he jumps into the next parable, the parable of a lamp on a stand, which is again one of these super parables that's in all three of the first three gospels. When you get some light, you don't hide it under a bushel. You, you display it. You put it on, 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 on. You don't hide it. You disclose it. You make it known. And this is what he says in Mark 4. Consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. In other words, when you get some truth in your life, you're to, dis- you're to display it, you're to allow it to, to go forward, to be on display for people to be able to say, okay, that's some truth that I need to gather or grasp for my life and understand for my life. And, you know, this is kind of one of those parables that you need to pay attention to. And I'm going to tell you why. Because even when you don't think that you have some truth, <laughs> you know, you... you it's, it's, let me put it a different way. Um, this is an amazing fact I've learned over 30 plus years of ministry now. Let's say that we're having uh, big troubles and we're seeing that there's across the board, there's marriage issues going on in our church. So we do a marriage seminar and we get excited and we pump it up and we say, oh, you need to come and you need to hear this truth, this light that's going to be given to you about marriage. And you know what's amazing to me? the people with great marriages end up coming to the marriage seminar. And all the people that you thought you were putting the marriage seminar on for, none of them come to it. And you're like, what is going on? It's kind of like we did uh, financial peace this last semester. And I thought we would see 80, 90 people sign up for financial peace because of all the struggles that are happening in our world today and our, your dollar needs to go further. So we should all be taking this course. And I was so excited to put the course together. And you know the vast majority of the people that showed up for the course? They all have their financial lives in order. It's crazy. They just wanted to, you know, understand it and build it a little bit better. So I'm telling you that to say this. When we offer it again, <laughs> you might want to say, maybe I should consider taking that course on uh, understanding finances a little bit better and building my financial world God's way. Okay, so then we get into this. So we've got the parable of the sower, the parable of the lamp on the stand. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we go into the parable of the growing seed, okay? So the kingdom of God is like a man scattering seed on the ground. The seed gets sown and begins to grow even when it's not attended. It grows all by itself. 
the seed is silently working even when we're not working. And so church, this is just a parable about why you need to be putting the Word of God into your life. Why it's important to spend some time in God's Word. Because the Word of God is supernatural seed and it will produce a harvest. And if you're sowing that seed, if you're meditating on the Word of God, if you're putting that Word into your heart, Church, I'm telling you, it will be planted, it will begin to take root, and even when you don't see it working, it's going to be working in your life. And the harvest will come when it needs to come. And so this is that parable that Jesus is sharing there, the parable of the growing seed. Then he goes into another parable, the parable of the mustard seed. And this parable of the mustard seed, he's talking about the kingdom of God, is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the seeds of the garden plants. But when it grows, it becomes a, a plant so large that the birds of the air can actually find shade under its branches. And so this is kind of this understanding that the kingdom of God starts small, but it'll grow and it'll produce this beautiful plant in order for you to be able to find shade in, in life. Okay, so we get this. We get this. Uh, he preaches a parable on, a, on seed. He preaches a parable on a lamp and a light. Don't hide it. Put it out there. And then he preaches on seed, and he preaches on seed. So we got three parables on seeds and a lamp, and then he says, let's go to the other side of the lake. Remember, they're in the boat, and they decide we're going to go for a ride now. And you think about it, if you're, you know, you're a disciple, you're like, okay, man, Jesus, it's been a hard day. We've been working hard all night. We've been listening to you preach. You're good. You're really good. But man, it's great to get a break. We're going on a nice leisurely boat ride now with Jesus. Sounds good, right? Oh boy, it wasn't. So a great storm comes up so fierce that the boat full of seasoned fishermen, generational fishermen, think they're about to drown. They're freaking out. They turn around to see if Jesus is as panicked as they are, and he is asleep in the back of the boat. He's literally sleeping. And they're like, what is wrong with this guy? And they wake him up and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? Jesus gets up. The Bible says he rebukes the wind and the waves. Everything goes calm. And then he rebukes the disciples. He's like, what is wrong with you guys? Where is your faith? Didn't I tell you that we we're going to the other side? And you're like, okay. So what happens when they get to the other side? I mean, this story just keeps getting better and better and better. So they finally get through this like ordeal of going through this storm. Jesus calms the storm. They get to the other side and look what happens when they get to the other side. Mark chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gesserines. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself. 
with stones. Terrible. I mean, imagine this guy, this poor soul, you guys. He's so possessed by demons. He's literally, he's naked. He's out, he's running, he's screaming at the top of his lungs, crying out. They can't subdue him. They can't chain him. They can't help him in any way. I mean, guys, if you understand this, this is like having the worst neighbor you could possibly have, okay? Like your property values are going down. You're trying to sell the house. You're like, I got to get out of here. This guy won't stop. And, you know, you're showing the house. Isn't it beautiful? Look at that beautiful Mediterranean. How many know your property value is going down if that's your neighbor? (laughs) Oh, Lord. (laughs) It reminds me of the story, Betty, when we were trying to sell our house in Fort McMurray and the neighbor came across my yard with a quad. And the guy's like, and I'm like, "Uh, that's my neighbor. He didn't buy the house. Can you believe it? Anyway. Here's this guy. We see in this story, you guys, three forces at work. The first force we see is Satan and his absolute wickedness and destruction upon this poor soul. The bondage of destruction and death that he had upon this man was terrible. And then we see the second force at work, which was society. But society could not help. Its inability to help to contain the man. And I, church... We're living in a day and age when, how many know we got some serious issues in our world today? And how many of you know, uh, or have you figured out that the best efforts of mankind are not helping set people free? We... we have addiction to drugs issues, and so we say, well, let's have, we'll, we'll do houses where people can have drugs and be safe in doing that. We'll, we'll, we'll provide this kind of thing for them to be able to have, do their drugs safely, instead of delivering them from an addiction. So society can't help you guys. And, and trust me when I say this, um, we just keep throwing more money at it. And how many of you know it doesn't work? It's not helping. And the third force that we see at work is the Savior. Jesus is the only hope of this man. Jesus commands the Spirit to come out of the man, and the Bible says that he begins to speak to the the demon, starts to beg him. You guys, you serve a powerful Jesus. (laughs) The demon says, don't send us out from here. And Jesus says, what's your name? And he says, legion for we are many. And a Roman legion can consist of up to 6,000 men. And so we don't know how many demons were in this poor soul of a, of a man, but we know that he was a tormented soul. So they asked Jesus, please don't send us out of here, but send us into the pigs. They literally, there's a whole bunch of pigs grazing on a hillside. And so Jesus says, go. And they leave. We don't know how many demons were there, but 2,000 pigs, rather than live with these demons, run down the hillside and go into the lake and drown. How many of you know there's some brokenness in our world today? 
And if we only knew how desperately people need deliverance and to be set free with the message and the hope that you have. Hallelujah. So the demon-possessed man a few moments later in the Scripture and the story is clothed now and in his right mind. They, they put some clothes on him. And then we pick up the story because the town folks come. You have to understand, their livelihood is floating in the bay. 2,000 pigs are like bobbing. It, and it's not good, just so you know. And so this bay of pigs moment... Um, didn't really help the economy. And this poor guy is like to blame. He's been the guy driving down the, you know, the value of their homes because of his screaming and torment day and night. And now their livelihood has been greatly diminished. Now check this out. The townsfolk show up and they beg Jesus to leave. <laughs> They're like, we can't handle this. Just, you need to go. So Jesus, <laughs> the poor disciples... Okay, they've, they've been in a boat all day. They travel across. They get there. They almost drown. You know, now they're, they, they, they come upon this, you know, they're accosted by the scent of swine as they come up. And then an uncontrollable, naked, demon-possessed guy comes running at them. And Jesus delivers them and says, okay, guys, we're done. Let's go. Really, Jesus? Like, we, this is not the cruise that we thought we were signing up for. Okay. And so this is what happens. Check out the story. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man meant, went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I mean, the guy, I would have, would you not have asked Jesus to take you with him? Please don't leave me here, Jesus. These people really don't like me and they don't like me even more now. Could you just take me with you? And I think that's a reasonable request, but Jesus says, no, you go to the Decapolis and tell them about all that God has done for you. Okay, great story, Pastor Greg. What does it have to do with you and I in this room today? Here we go. If we're going to get in Jesus' boat, there's some things we need to understand. Here's number one. Jesus' boat is a cargo ship, not a cruise ship. For a lot of Christians, Christianity has been a cruise ship. And what I mean by a cruise ship, if you've ever been on a cruise, it's like the crew is here to serve me. When do we eat again? Because, you know, eating 16 times a day is not enough when you're on a cruise ship. You have to eat 17. Sometimes we live in a cruise ship Christianity. And God is saying that day is over. Actually, it was never that day, but I'm going to tell you one of the sins of the church in the last 40 years, 30 years maybe, has been we've created a consumer gospel. 
And the consumer gospel is what do I get out of it? What's in it for my kids? What's in it for my family? And so we've created this consumerism. We're actually just mimicking the world and saying we have a better product than the world, just come and consume this product. But that was never the heart or intention of the gospel. Amen? We're not on a cruise ship. We're on a cargo ship. And that's an important thing for you and I to understand. Here's the second thing about being in Jesus' boat. Jesus' boat is carrying a precious living cargo. How many of you remember there's a boat in the Old Testament? What was it called? And what did it carry? A living cargo. What was the thing that it carried? Two of the animals, and they were the seeds to replenish the earth. Amen? Of all the animals. And so this was what God was carrying. But in this ship, he's carrying another precious living cargo. <coughs> Excuse me. And guess what is this cargo? It's the seeds of the kingdom of God. That's what's on the ship. Did you guys catch that Jesus three times in our story preached on seed? He's like, I'm going to preach on seed, light, seed, seed. Now let's go to the other side and practice what I've preached because I'm going to bring with me the seed of the kingdom of God. You see, you and I, church, are those seeds. You see, the Word of God in Jesus Christ, listen to me, in Jesus Christ, the Word of God is living seed. Amen? He is called the Word of God. But guess who the seeds of the kingdom of God are now? You and me. You say, oh, come on, pastor, does it really say that? Yep, Matthew 13, 38. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. You see, Jesus is going to the other side, church, because he's going to practice what he just preached. Here's the third thing about Jesus' boat. Jesus' boat will meet resistance, but it's going to the other side. Church, when you are hearing the word of the Lord, revelation is coming to you. When you're reading your word, revelation is coming to you. And I'm going to tell you just a secret of the kingdom that you need to know is that that will be tested. It's just how it works. If you learn a truth about the kingdom of God, if you learn a truth about Jesus, it will be tested. I've said this a few weeks ago. It's generally tested by two things, the silence of God and the scream of the enemy. And so God will tell you something and then he goes silent. In other words, it becomes tested in your life. Are you following me? And you need to understand that if you're going to grow and mature in your faith. And so God will tell you something about his nature, and then suddenly there will come a seemingly a silence of God to test that thing. 
and to see if you've really understood it or if you will put it into faith. But how many of you know all faith is tested faith? It just is. So let me give you an example. If your mom, like what my mom did when I was a little kid, took me on, the, on you know, to the crosswalk and then uh, taught me to, you know, point, pause, and proceed. Look both ways, make sure there's no traffic coming. And then that was when I was a kid, that's what they called it, point, pause, and proceed. I'm, I'm that old. And um, so you wait and you look and, you, and then you pause and then you proceed. And your mom watches to make sure you get it right. And now you press the crosswalk button and all that good stuff. But you have to make sure it's safe to walk. Are you following me? And then mom goes with you and teaches you how to do that. But the next day she, you go by yourself. How many of you know now your faith is being tested? Because mom's not there to watch you. But are you going to do what you've been taught and you've learned? And so that's part of the test. To get a testimony, you have to go through the test. So Jesus' boat will meet resistance, but it's going to the other side. There are some times when we need to understand the Christian journey is going to be tough because life is tough sometimes, guys. Sometimes you're going to maybe be feeling like, I'm going down. What is going on? This is terrible. And sometimes you're going to say, where is Jesus in all this? And you turn around and you see that he's asleep in the boat. You're like, come on, Jesus. Don't you care? Don't you care what I'm going through? And I think we're asking the wrong question because what we should realize is if Jesus is in the boat, we're okay. That's it. (laughs) If Jesus is not freaking out, which he never freaks out, by the way, just in case you were ever wondering. But if he's in your boat, you're you're going to do okay. Well, what's on the other side? Jesus says we're going to the other side. It's going to meet resistance, but we're going to the other side. It's the kingdoms of this world. See, the region that Jesus took the disciples to was not a very, it was a very non-Jewish region. The Decapolis was 10 Gentile cities. And so Jesus goes to that place because something needs to happen. I'm going to tell you, this is not a place where a Jewish cruise ship would go. Okay? You just need to understand that. Uh, Why do I know that? Well, because the first thing you're accosted with is the scent of swine. And to a Jew, a pig represented an abomination. It represented everything unclean. And so this is what hits them when they first get there. They've almost been drowned. And they show up, and now the scent of pig hits them. You're like, oh my gosh, Jesus, where have you taken us? And then the naked, demon-possessed guy comes at you. Okay? You're like, seriously, Jesus, this is the cruise that you took us on. And yet Jesus is saying, this is great. You see, he goes like this. Jesus goes, can you smell it? This is the place where some kingdom seed needs to be planted. This is what God is saying. Amen? You see, because Jesus' boat has a great mission. Ever wonder why you're at the workplace you're at? Ever wonder why you're at the school you're at? Because God wants to bring you the seed of the kingdom into that place in order to bring the kingdom of God 
to bear upon the kingdoms of this world. People say, well, I'm, all, I'm the only Christian at my work. And I say, man, you're, you're awesome. If you're the only Christian at your work, Jesus must think you're amazing because, wow, you're the only one he's planted there in order to bring his kingdom to bear upon the people of your work. Hallelujah, amen. I work with a lot of Christians, so it's very different here. But <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about, though? that you can be that light shining in this world. Church, you know, we don't change our culture by criticizing our culture. We change our culture by bringing a new culture to it. We change our culture by bringing a better culture, (laughs) a better hope, a better story, a better understanding. Hallelujah. What a story you have, church. Amen? Amen. That there's a God who loves you, that He is for you and not against you. And in this life, you're going to have all kinds of trouble, but you can take the hand of God and He will walk with you in life. What a story. What a mission. So God has sent us on this mission. You know, people say to me, When I travel, this is an interesting commentary I get sometimes. People say, I'm going to tell you, I've preached in lots of places, you guys. And it's kind of a a comical thing to me at this point. People always say this to me. They get to this point and they say, well, pastor, you don't understand. Where I'm from, it's really hard. And the gospel really doesn't work there. And I'm like, No, that's not true. You see, I'm going to tell you, I pastored in Fort McMurray. And I saw the gospel work there. Powerfully. Where we saw miracles and signs and wonders and hundreds of people coming to know Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the gospel works anywhere. Amen? This is why you have been here, and you say, well, our town is in such bondage to Satan. Yes, you're right. Society can no longer help. It's only the Savior's seed that can help. And church, together, we're it. This is, there is no plan B. The church is the answer to our world's problems today. And you need to understand that. You come with a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a message of hope, a message of deliverance, a message of grace, a message of joy, a message of the peace of God that passes understanding in the midst of a culture that is swaying and going crazy because anything that can be shaken is being shaken in these last days, and you have the answer. Amen. (laughs) See, you didn't get saved just to go on a cruise with Jesus. He has a mission for you. He has a plan for you. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Now, I want you to think about this. If you think, well, what can I do? What can I do, pastor? Think about the demoniac of the Gadarenes. 
I mean, he leaves this guy behind. It's crazy. This guy was in such bondage. Society couldn't help. Nothing could set him free. He didn't, Jesus didn't let him go with him, but said, no, now you stay and you become the seed of the kingdom of God. This is what he was saying to him. You have to stay and go and share the good news of how God has set you free. And so the man did. He went and preached in all 10 cities about the message of Jesus Christ and how God had set him free. What an incredible thing. See, like our, the disciples before us, church, sometimes we're scared of the things on the other side, the unclean things in our cities, the scent of sin and moral failure and things that are not quite good, people living in the bondage of sin. And yet this is where you and I have been called. This is the message of the kingdom of God, that this house might be a refuge and a place of deliverance, a place of hope place of grace. And the kingdom of hell is terrified that you might actually start believing it and go as the seeds. You say, what can I do? What about my life? I don't have it all together. How can I be a seed? I'm so small, I can't really make a difference. And God says back to you, well, the mustard seed was the smallest of all seeds. And yet it became this great plant that even the birds of the air, the nations can find refuge and shade under. We might argue with God and say, I don't see my life having much effect. And God says, oh, you know, but the seed of the Word of God, even if you don't see it having effect, I'm telling you that it's being planted in your life and it's producing a harvest and one day you're going to see it clearly. And so God has an answer for every one of our questions and He says to you, you and to me, you guys are the ambassadors of the kingdom of God and God is making His appeal through you even though you don't have it all together. <laughs> even though you don't have it all together. Amen? Amen? Do you know, listen to me, guys. The fact that you don't have it all together is actually what makes your, test, your testimony valid. <laughs> if God can love me, if God can deliver me, if God can come into my life, surely He can come into your life. Amen? Amen? So here we are. This is the intent of this entire message, church. This Christmas season, live as the seeds of the kingdom of God. This is why God has saved you. This is why you're here. That you will take the message of the kingdom, the goodness of God, the hope of Christ, and share it. Amen? Let's have the band come back now. Hallelujah. Well, church, we're going to the other side. Amen? We're going into our cities that are in bondage to the enemy. But we have a seed within us that's greater than any bondage that they are suffering. And we can see greater deliverance and hope sown into this world through your life and through my life. Church, we cannot do this without you. Because there's things that each one of you brings that's unique in the kingdom of God.
Some of you may bring a hope of just encouragement. Some of you bring a gift of prayer. Some of you bring a gift of hospitality. Every one of these gifts working together is how we see the kingdom of God manifesting in this time, in this world right now. Amen. Thanks for joining us. For more of our messages and information on our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. Have a great week.